Hello and welcome to the First Ted Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Feltz, here at Bloomington, Indiana, and it's time for another Big Ten football recap. This time we're talking about week six here in the conference. Lots to talk about, lots to break down, and joining me, as always, to talk about it all is Reed Murray. Reed, what's going on? Hey, Patrick. Gearing up for fall break here, soon to take a trip down to Nashville, but I'm still in Columbus for the day. Looking forward to this weekend. Looking forward to watching the Buckeyes on Peacock, which is something that has a lot of Ohio State fans frustrated. And interestingly, there was a story run on the Lantern today about Peacock and, you know, having to pay for that subscription and stuff. And I found it interesting. There were comments saying, you know, shame on OSU for doing this to your students. Da, 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 da. And there were also some people talking about big noon kickoff saying, you know, screw you, OSU. You don't care about our students. You don't give us a night game. People need to understand that Ohio State or any team does not control what time their game is or what. Yeah, on. right. Now they control accepting the media deal, I guess. So I guess in the abstract you know long term they do sort of control it but ohio state did not say yes guys let's play at noon on saturday boom let's play on peacock and uh you know and i'm and i'm sure other schools have dealt with the same sort of backlash for this so just want to make that point real quick uh folks you know don't get mad at your you know university president athletic director head coach whatever because of what time and channel your team is playing on also boohoo you have to play one game on a streaming service oh no whatever will you do You'd have to fork over five dollars. I mean, look, Georgia played its first two or three games of the year on ESPN Plus. How about in basketball? Purdue's going to be the best team in the country in basketball this year. They're playing six games, including their biggest out of conference game, Arizona, and their biggest conference game at Indiana on Peacock. Okay, it's not just Ohio State. So Purdue, in fact, is playing three consecutive games on the service in football. These last two games plus Ohio State coming up. So it's one game. People, you you will get over it, and if you can't, then go listen on the radio or buy a ticket and drive. I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, and it's not like it's a, a terrible streaming service that nobody gets and is impossible to it find. It is terrible in terms of its quality, having watched many and, games on there. It crashes all the time. It, it is a pretty awful streaming service, to be fair. But, but at I, least it's got content and isn't crazy expensive like Flow Sports or something, if you've ever had to watch a game on there. It's true. So, yeah, I uh, back when I was covering Indiana women's basketball, they played a game against Butler and then they played. Oh, I remember this one. Yeah. And then they played. I forget. It was Stanford in Miami, Florida in some like November Thanksgiving tournament. That thing, I I believe the the publication paid for it or, or somebody I worked with had a login. So I didn't pay. But it's damn expensive. It's $30 a month, $30. And uh, you don't get much content. So at least with Peacock, you get, you know, some big 10 games and the office and parks and rec and the premier league. So at least you get something with that. It, it could be a whole heck of a lot worse, I guess, but let's ignore that. Let's get past that and get into week five before we look or week six, before we get into week seven here in the big 10. But Reed, I'll give you the floor first uh, to open things up. Who is your winner of the week, the way we start every single recap podcast? My winner of the week, and this is this even goes beyond the Big Ten. This is winner of the week just for college football this week. Michigan. Just Michigan as a whole, because Minnesota head coach P.J. Flex said this about Michigan. They're the best football team I've seen in my 11 years being a head coach. And, I mean, he's seen some damn good teams. So this just goes to show we were, we were you know, Talked about how Michigan earlier this year hasn't looked the best against some not the best teams. 
and you know how they really needed to improve against their poor out of conference schedule. And I still think we were fair to criticize them for that. But lately, Michigan has really been turning it on. I predicted it going into this week. It was going to be Michigan blowout against Minnesota, and that's exactly what happened. And you know, to be the best team PJ Fleck has ever faced, in his opinion. Now, you know, maybe he's just sort of you know covering himself after his team got blown out at home, but. That's, you know, those are the kind of things you just don't say lightly. And I think Michigan really is starting to get itself right in gear and could be poised for a national championship. And I think the fact that a coach as experienced as P.J. Fleck, who has had some of the, despite poor recent years, has had some high successes in college football, the fact that he would say that about the program, it really says a lot about where they are this season. I don't think it's a coincidence, Reed, that Michigan really started to turn a corner and blow teams out just a couple of weeks after Jim Harbaugh came back. And that's really been the catalyst in my opinion, uh, to getting Michigan playing the football that coming into the season, we believe that they could play. And right now, in my opinion, they look like far and away the best team in the sport. And obviously George is coming off of an impressive win against Kentucky as well, but Michigan gave up double digits for the first time this week and they still won 52 to 10. And that was their first time in week six, giving up double digit points. That is damn impressive, and uh, I, I think right now Michigan is far and away, in my opinion, the best team in the sport and uh, doesn't look like it's going to be a whole lot of uh, rough sailing for them going forward either. Just looking at the next few weeks, it's IU this week, followed by a trip to Michigan State, and then it's Purdue at home before they close out the season with potentially their three toughest games of the entire year, uh, Maryland, Penn State, and Ohio State. They've got in Ann Arbor this year. So uh, really interesting going forward for Michigan. I think they're going to be 9-0 and in November going into what's going to be their toughest stretch of the year. Uh, but Reed, my winner of the week this week, uh, first, I, I got to give it to, to Matt Rule and the Nebraska Cornhuskers for finally getting that elusive first conference victory uh, after a really rough showing against Michigan. They come out and uh, it wasn't a super impressive game against Illinois and against an Illinois team that looked pretty terrible, but there were still a lot of things I liked from Nebraska here in this game. They didn't play particularly well, but they at least showed some dimension on offense and being able to have that running quarterback in Henrik Harburg, who I was actually pretty impressed by. Didn't throw particularly well, but he moved the ball and he certainly moved it with his legs, 82 yards and a touchdown uh, on the ground. It's a lot more of a defensive Nebraska team or maybe just an offensive uh, ineptitude by Illinois that that impressed me here. But I think Nebraska is turning it a little bit. I'm not going to say they're going to make a bowl game. They're three and three right now. But looking at the next few weeks, again, it's Northwestern Purdue at Michigan State. That's three very winnable games for Nebraska. If they can have a, a stellar defensive performance like this again and maybe have some long drives, run the clock out, run the ball well, uh, some option stuff, old school wishbone Nebraska style. I think there's a chance that Nebraska could win all three of those games. Yeah, I mean, you're right about it being a more defensive team, but I think that's kind of the nature that the Big Ten West is this season. And, you know, I'm going to get into that a little bit later in this podcast, so I don't want to sort of give all my thoughts on that. But I do think Nebraska is kind of starting to, to settle into – the style of play that's in the division and maybe we'll see them having success with that style. Absolutely. And uh, looking at those next three games for them, they should be favored in all three of those, right? The Northwestern at home, Purdue at home at Michigan state. They'll be the favorite in all three of those, right? Reed. Some of those sound like more gimme type games, but 
Yeah, I, I would say maybe they should be favored, but not by much. None of those are. It'll, are they'll be close, but they'll be favorites. Yeah, you know, if they're coming in on I a three-game see, winning I could streak at Michigan State, State I could see. Uh, but at home against a Purdue team that really struggled this week, that's true. But yeah, I mean, who knows? Who knows what the lines are going to look like? Because sometimes too, we you know we assess teams a certain way, and then Vegas sees it differently, and Vegas ends up being right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I will say, I would think Nebraska will win two of those three. Um, those I could feel the be- same way. Yeah, I feel the same way. I think they could be looking at five and six going into Iowa. Very likely. Hey, maybe they upset Maryland at home. You never know. I, I don't think a bowl game is out of reach for Nebraska this year, and that's pretty impressive for them. Given, obviously, they've missed a bowl game every single year since 2017. They haven't made a bowl game for a long time, and it's the longest streak in the entire Power Five. But usually, at this point in the season, for the last couple of years, Nebraska's been all but completely written off. The fact that they're in the mix right now with a really good chance to get the six wins, I think is a huge step in the right direction for that program. And speaking of bowl games for Nebraska, I am curious if Nebraska does end up making a bowl game, you know, having such a big fan base and being in the largest bowl drought in FBS. I am curious, let's say they make a bowl game like the quick lane bowl or maybe the pinstripe bowl or some of these bowl games that people don't get very excited about often have low attendance. I am really curious what the attendance would be in, for example, Detroit for a quick lane bowl if Nebraska's in it, um, considering the size of the fan base and the drought, but also the lack of prestige in that game. Yeah, and I I think the answer would be a lot of people would show up just because it's been a long, long time since Nebraska has had any sort of postseason football. But, hey, they're only 500 right now. If they can keep this up the rest of the way, they can get themselves to a bowl game. But uh, it's certainly not going to be easy given the recent track record of Nebraska football. All right, Reed, let's get into our losers of the week. I'll let you go first here. Who's your loser? You know, I don't like giving my losers and winners of the week to just teams, but I just have to go with Northwestern here. You cannot afford yeah. to beat the FCS team by three points at home. And this is just after Northwestern was actually looking like they might be turning a corner, a win against Minnesota. And then despite the score in the end not being very close, a close game against a great Penn State team. Then you go home and you barely beat Howard. Yeah. You, you, you just can't do that. And, and they're three and three right now. If we look at the rest of their schedule, Nebraska, Maryland, Iowa, Wisconsin, Purdue, Illinois, maybe they can make a bowl game. I would say Illinois is their most likely win on there. Nebraska on the road, we were just talking about it, that Nebraska would probably be favored. That's a possible win. And then it would probably have to be an upset against either Purdue, Wisconsin, Iowa, or Maryland. Again, maybe they can do it, though. I mean, they upset Minnesota. But it just doesn't inspire a lot of confidence when you win 23-20 to against the Howard Bison. Reed, similarly, my loser, Luke, was David Braun, and everything you said about Northwestern is true there, but I said him because he's the interim coach. People said he was making a case in his recent weeks, especially that win over Minnesota, to be the full-time head coach, to get that promotion, to get the job, Uh, beating an FCS team by three at home, letting them come back on you and absolutely have a chance to win that game. It uh, doesn't really make a great case to get the full-time job. So I think he's my loser, and I think it's going to make it a lot tougher for him the rest of the way to be in a spot to get this Northwestern job for good. All right, I'll Reed. tell you what, if he does lead his team to a bowl game, then that kind of completely erases. Yes, yeah. But right now I'd say he's trending towards being a one-season interim and then gone. I can see it. All right, Reed, that'll do it for winners and losers. We're going to take a quick break here before we get into the second half of the show. So stay tuned, and we will be right back with more. 
back here on the first and 10, ready to get into the second half of this podcast. All right, Reed, uh, time to talk about our game of the week. And if you're just a box score watcher, you might not think this is much of a game, but our game of the week is Maryland and Ohio State. Reed, the Terps gave the Buckeyes a real scare in the horseshoe this weekend. What did you have to make of this? Obviously, Ohio State in the fourth quarter pulls away, but Buckeyes really tested at home. Well, I want to talk real quick about the quarterbacks in this game. Because, again, if you look at the stats, the stats don't tell the full story here. Talia Tagovailoa, excuse me, going 21 for 41, 196 yards, a touchdown and two picks. Doesn't sound like the most impressive day, but I'll say I actually was pretty impressed by the way he played. He was elusive in the pocket. He was composed in the pocket. And Ohio State's defensive line, I think they didn't perform well enough against the run. And then when they were, the pass rush was not good enough either because – generally they just weren't able to get to Tagovailoa. And when they did, Tagovailoa was elusive. And again, the two picks, it's a bad look for him. Especially the second pick he threw, it was a completely unnecessary hero ball type throw. It really cost his team. But I was impressed by the way he played. McCord, on the other hand, his stats looked much, much more impressive. 19 for 29, 320 yards, two touchdowns. I think McCord in this game, it was a little bit, again, the stats don't show it, but I think it was a little bit of a come down from the Notre Dame game. Everyone was kind of, you know, in on him and excited about what he was doing. And then all of a sudden he comes in here, you know, seemed too hesitant to get rid of the ball. Wasn't getting rid of the ball in quick enough time. And then a couple of times he would have receivers open deep and he would underthrow them and it would still make the catch, but, you know, potential touchdowns are turned into 40 yard gains that are stopped just because the throw didn't lead the receiver on well enough. There's just certain instances where the passes are not accurate enough where they don't need, where they are not where they need to be. And I think, you know, Ohio state, it took them too long to get it turned on in this game, which again, Ohio state, the sort of the story this year is it's not always pretty, but they find a way to get it done and beating a good Maryland team at home by 20. That's not a bad result. And they eventually did just prove their quality at the end of the game. But overall this one, you know, I had Ohio state, I think at two last week, I had to drop them down to three this time because it just, they're not, it looked like they were progressively getting better every single game. This is a little bit of a drop off They're They're not exactly, trending upward the way I thought they were after having this result. There's just, there's too much inconsistency. And that's been my problem since day one with this Ohio state team is just, you know, some passes, some plays, some games, they look phenomenal. And then the next thing, you know, they, they, they can't complete a simple pass. And, you know, I think once the consistency there is there for Ohio state, they're going to be a phenomenal, incredibly difficult team to stop, but we've yet to see it. We need more consistency at Ohio state before we can really start putting them up with the Michigans. And now that Georgia's played well this past week, the Georgia's of college football. Yeah, Reed, I think first of all, this is an impressive win for Ohio State. This is a good Maryland team they played, number one, just for the record. This is a good team. With that being said, you would like to see them, if they want to prove themselves as the elite of the elite, kind of put their foot on a team's throat earlier. But that fourth quarter, Ohio State made a statement in my mind, and it's that they can blow a team out, even in a good game, a tough contest. They can tough it out, and they can really pull away and make a game uncompetitive late. And I think that's impressive. So going forward for Ohio State, I think, number one, this is the most uh, they've been tested at home in quite some time, I would say, since, I mean, not including the the Michigan games, um, Oregon in, in 21. So that I, I think is good for them just as a team to have a little bit of a fire lit, lit under them. And, and number two, 
to do what they did in the second half and to erase all doubt and to pull away and to prove they're the better team, to not fold, it shows that mental toughness that, that we saw from this Ohio State team against Notre Dame a couple of weeks ago. And it's not pretty. It's not blowouts that a lot of Ohio State fans are used to where they're beating teams by, by 30 every single week. But it's still a three-score victory at home against a really good team uh, that gave Ohio State a, a run for their money, gave them a hell of a game. And yet the Buckeyes still find a way to blow them out in the end and make it uncompetitive in the fourth quarter. So I think it's impressive nonetheless, even if it's not the prettiest one ever, uh, and it wasn't an early, quick, fast start for Ohio State, it still is impressive all the same. And eventually, though, you would like to see Ohio State against a somewhat quality opponent. Maybe Maryland's just good. But against a somewhat quality opponent, maybe that's Wisconsin in a couple of weeks. Maybe that's Rutgers. I don't know just absolutely beat a team to a pulp. And, and they haven't done that yet against anybody other than Western Kentucky. And, you know, I, I just don't think that really is an impressive win. It's Western Kentucky after all. One of these days, I would like to see Ohio State really beat a team good before I start saying, all right, this team's for real. We can start talking about potentially beating Michigan, getting to the playoff, et cetera. Because right now, I think there still is a lot for them to prove, but it's an impressive win regardless. Right, and I think Michigan this past week, if you look at what they did against Minnesota, it was just, I mean, one of the either the first or the second or whatever it was play of the game is a pick six. It is kind of easy to get ahead on the scoreboard. But just early on, you knew Michigan is going to absolutely destroy them. Minnesota is never going to have a chance to win. Maryland's a, a lot better than Minnesota, to be fair. Yes, yes, to be fair. But Maryland is also not on the level of Penn State or Michigan. And so when you have to, if you're Ohio State and your goal is to beat the Penn States and Michigans, especially when you haven't beaten Michigan in two years, you have to sort of play every game as if, or at least you want to hope that you're going to play every game to a standard where if we played like we're playing today against Michigan, we would win. And so I didn't see, I mean, the fourth quarter was great, but up until that fourth quarter, I didn't see that level from Ohio state where if they are performing at this level, they can go and beat these superior athletes of Michigan and Penn state. And so, you know, I, I do kind of wonder, and especially with the issue of consistency, I wonder how Ohio state is going to fare against Penn state because they could come out looking great and and beat a phenomenal Penn State team, or they could have an off day and you know Penn State could just bulldoze them in their own stadium. And you have to have a higher level of consistency to win championships in this sport, especially when you know one loss, especially two losses, completely derail your season and take you out of contention for some of these playoff spots and you know top tier bowl games. You need consistency, and that's what I'm worried about with Ohio State and, and right I'm now, Michigan now. Yeah. And between then and now, between that Penn State game and now, there still is a game Ohio State has to play against Purdue in a stadium that has historically been a house of horrors for the Buckeyes. Even if this is a Purdue team that's been extremely underwhelming, I still think that this is an important game for Ohio State and a game where they can make another statement. If they go in uh, against a team that's given them trouble before, obviously it's a different group of guys, different coach, different everything than the last time they lost to Purdue or any time in the past they've lost to Purdue or really struggled in Ross-Aid Stadium. But there still is some of that history, and it's hard to shake that. With that being said, if they can go in and make a statement, potentially blowing out a Purdue team or even just getting a, a really solid win where they control the game for four quarters and it's not close, that would be impressive too. And I think that's a statement that Ohio State needs to make this coming week before they take on Penn State. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, you're right that Purdue has given Ohio State trouble on Ross State before. But, you know, Ohio State – Last time they played Purdue, they were able to beat them handily. And Purdue has also, I think, not looked like 
the type of Purdue team that has the upset potential of previous Purdue teams. Now, I don't, don't want to put bad juju up in the air by saying that. They're not explosive, though. But yeah, this isn't this is not the Purdue team that we saw Rondale Moore torch Ohio State with. And so I think obviously if you're Ohio State, you have to focus on just the week at hand. They have to their full focus has to be on Purdue. But if you're looking at it from an outside perspective, you're not in that locker room. You do have to kind of assess the way they're playing against teams like Maryland and then this week against Purdue and compare that to a hypothetical game where Penn State's on the other side. I think the fourth quarter against Maryland should should give Ohio State fans a lot more hope uh going forward against Penn State, against Michigan, et cetera. Then, you know, you have to look at the three quarter, first three quarters as well. But if Ohio State had just kept playing like that and had won this game by 10 points, seven points, whatever, you'd have to ask some questions. But they blew them out in the fourth quarter. They ran up the score. 20-point win is a 20-point win in my book. And uh, if you're a Buckeye, you have to be feeling, at the very least, a little bit better than you were in the third quarter of that game today with, with a 20-point win under their belt. Hundred percent, and I think this sort of leads us into our player of the week. Where, or, or does it? It does for me because my player of the week is Marvin Harrison Jr., who has had a good season and has obviously been one of the most hyped up receivers we've ever seen in college football. But he finally had a game this week where he just felt like the best player on the field, and when the ball was in his hands, felt unguardable and made several plays, big touchdown, uh, as well as just some really incredible catches where you wonder if there's another guy in the sport who can make that play. And the answer is probably not uh, on Saturday. He he had a couple plays like that as well as a huge touchdown catch a really impressive game from him. And especially in a season where he hadn't, I don't think played his best football to this point. Uh, it, it was really fun to watch him play. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go on the defensive side of the ball and I'm going to give my player of the week to Josh Proctor. Mm-hmm had the pick six touchdown great play by him there but then also one and a half tackles for loss seven total tackles and just all day he was a force of the Ohio State defense you know there's some performers in the Ohio State defense who have been I think the Ohio State defense has been pretty consistent but there are some players where they're a little bit more hot and cold than Proctor has been but this week especially he was just you knew if he was in on a play that it was going to go the Ohio State's way uh very impressed by what Proctor did this week and so he's my player of the week yeah, Reed, I think that's a great shout. I, I said it to you during this game when Josh Proctor made that pick six that that was going to be the turning point in the game. That was potentially the play that saved Ohio State's season because they lose this game to Maryland, and you know all sorts of uh, discourse is being had. And uh, you know even if they struggle a little bit more in that game or they're down at the half, whatever, that, game, that play by uh, – by Proctor, I think absolutely changed the course of the afternoon and changed the course of the season for Ohio State in turn because in college football, every single game is so important when you're playing at that level, when you're trying to get to a college football playoff, trying to get to a conference championship, and uh, a play like that absolutely swung the game back in Ohio State's favor. Great shout by you, Reed. All right, players of the week, game of the week in the books. Let's talk about Wheezy's of the week, Reed. I'll let you start this one. Give me an F. I'm going to say Wheezy F baby and the F is for forward pass specifically in the big 10 West forward passing just is not utilized to win games the way it is in many other divisions and conferences in college football. If you look at some winners of games this week, Nebraska, 154 passing yards in the game, Iowa, 110 passing yards, Northwestern, 131. These teams are not winning games by passing the football, which is just 
so fascinating that, you know, some people call the Big Ten an archaic conference. I think it's more specifically the Big Ten West than the Big Ten at large. But it's it's a trend that, you know, we we sort of see and criticize some teams for. But sometimes you look at the stat sheet, it's the teams that are losing that aren't passing well. They just they, they, they can't pass. They can't win. But now teams are winning without <laughs> passing for more than 150 yards. It's it's a really interesting development out of the Big Ten West. And, and I think it needs to be highlighted. Iowa is five and one with the worst offense you've ever seen. Five and one. And I mean, hey, that, that's, that's almost kind of more impressive than being, uh, I don't know, that, that, that is actually kind of a feat. I think it's extremely impressive that the fact that they've made it to this point and, and we're still looking at Brian Ferentz with uh, that under 24 point average. And yet they're five and one. They control their own destiny in the Big Ten West. And I think they've got a real shot to get to Indianapolis this year. They've got a, a huge game coming up against Wisconsin that, Hey, if they win that one, they're in the driver's seat going forward in the West. But really, I read this is going to sound crazy. I think there's a path to 10 and two, if not more in the regular season for this Iowa team, this Iowa team, oh, yeah, this Iowa team that can't move the ball uh, simply because of that big 10 West schedule. And uh, we talked about it in the past read, but next year when the new big 10 comes into play, and Iowa kind of got off the easiest given their protected rivals. But uh, when the new Big Ten starts next year, uh, it feels like a day of reckoning is going to come for the Hawkeyes. Yeah, no, Iowa absolutely has a track to 10 wins. I mean, if you look at who they're playing, they should be favorites in every single game. And I think with the nature of the way they play, they will lose one of those six games. But <laughs> Wisconsin, Minnesota, Northwestern, Rutgers, Illinois, Nebraska. Tell me which of those teams should be favored against Iowa. I say none. Maybe and Wisconsin on the road. Maybe. Maybe. I think Wisconsin is going to be favored in that game by about three points, but that doesn't mean Wisconsin's going to win it. And I don't think I don't even know if I'm going to pick Wisconsin to win it. I don't think so either. I mean, Wisconsin, they're ranked in the student media poll now at number 25 after what? Uh one possession win over Rutgers? Are you kidding me? I'm not impressed by Wisconsin at all. Me neither. Actually, it was a two possession win, but it was barely it was it was a it was a close game at home against Rutgers. Still, still yeah. Not an impressive uh, game in the slightest. Exactly. And so I feel like Iowa, abs- I think that one could be a little bit of a pick right there between Wisconsin and Iowa. And then from there on out, Iowa should be the favorites in every game. They are, I guess, now my pick to win the Big Ten West. I don't see anyone else really taking them down there. So, yeah, this this honestly could be one of the lowest rated Big Ten championship games of all time where you have an elite team, whether it's Michigan, Penn State or Ohio State, taking on Iowa. <laughs> It's unbelievable. Like those old ACC games where it would be like the best Clemson team you've ever seen taking on seven and six Virginia or seven. (laughs) I mean, Deacon Hill, man. Six of 21, 110 yards, touchdown and a pick. Six completed passes. You cannot go six for 21 as a starting quarterback in the power five. You you just can't do it. And And they're five and one. And they are staring down the barrel of first place in the Big Ten West if they can win this week against Wisconsin. That's a division championship game right there. That's a division championship game right there. True. What has this world come to? But honestly, how else would you expect the Big Ten West to end? All right. We see baby in the F is for 52. Michigan dropped 52 points on Minnesota this week. We talked about it earlier in the program, read, but this is an incredibly impressive performance for Michigan. And it's about time Michigan started really putting their foot on some teams' throats, blowing them out from – start of the game to the end of the game and 
that's exactly what they did in this one. I was extremely impressed by Michigan right now. They're the best team in the country. Yeah, and and I think Georgia actually made a great case for itself too against Kentucky. Kentucky's a team that I was out on, and I think Kentucky is often overhyped, but then the way they beat Florida down, I was like, all right, look, Kentucky's a quality football team. Georgia put the smack down there too. So now I think I still don't think this is how it's been in previous years where you have a top two or top three that is miles ahead of the rest of college football. I still think we're in this great parody of the top 10 or so teams. But I do think Michigan and Georgia both sort of separated themselves this week, um, just proving they can play at, at a high level against maybe not great, but, you know, fair power five opposition um, and, and Michigan in particular. I wouldn't say they're the far and away best team in the country, but I do have them at number one right now. And uh, I, th- I think it is they are the team to beat right now. I think they're absolutely the team to beat right now, Reed. And going forward, a couple of big games in the schedule still. It's a huge November for Michigan. And right now it's looking like they're in the driver's seat to repeat as Big Ten champions, in my opinion. But a whole lot of football left to be played. All right, Reed, let's touch on our student media pool ballots before we wrap this one up. Who all did you rank out of the Big Ten this week? So the Big Ten this week, I had the same – top three Big Ten teams. Now, well, I should say, I think I phrased that wrong. I have the same three Big Ten teams that I've had ranked all season, but I had one more team in there. Michigan, number one, Ohio State, number three, Penn State, number five, with Georgia two and Oregon four sprinkled in there. And then I put Maryland at 24. I said I wanted to see something impressive out of Maryland before I ranked them. I didn't love their resume beforehand. And, you know, it it does sound funny to rank a team after a 20-point loss, but, you know, they were tied with Ohio State at the half. Quite frankly, if they weren't, terrible at clock management at the end of the half they would have been up on ohio state at the half yes they yeah we forgot to mention that first half. And then i would even say they looked solid in the second i thought they had a great showing in the shoe and you know i don't love bumping teams up after losses but we're still early in the year and i still think you can afford to do that i think it's more about the quality of football you see than the number of wins and losses um when, when evaluating a team's resume i think mm-hmm. a quality loss counts more than a poor win at this point in the year and so i liked what i saw out of maryland they're my number 24 right now. And, uh, you know, the, those top five Big Ten teams remain in the top five. Penn State, they'll probably be number five going into their game against Ohio State after playing UMass this upcoming week. I don't really see them having to, to you know, bump their way up there. Ohio State with a little bit more wiggle room, depending on what if they play exceptionally well or exceptionally poorly against Purdue. Um, Michigan sort of in the same boat with Michigan State coming up. Yeah, Reed, and I felt the same way about Maryland. I've got them ranked at 24 this week as well, exact same spot as you. Uh, They've just played good football straight up. And even though they lost by 20 points, I still think that they played a good game against Ohio State. That's worth ranking because I've got Michigan one and Ohio State two. Again, back-to-back weeks. We've got Oregon third, Georgia fourth, Florida State fifth. We've got Penn State there in the sixth spot. A couple of big games coming up this week, headlined by Oregon against Washington. That's going to give Penn State, should the Huskies pull the upset, a chance to move into my top five because uh, I still – just I'm not ready to put them there simply because there have been a couple of games where uh, they've taken their foot off the gas or haven't really played full four full quarters of football and have been given games like that Northwestern game. Just, I need to see a little bit more against a great team for Penn State. But one win that's aging really well for Penn State right now is their West Virginia game from week one. As West Virginia is starting to pick up some momentum, and uh, I believe right now in terms of the overall standings, they're sitting second in the Big 12 somehow. Uh, behind just Oklahoma after Texas lost this weekend in Red River. So maybe I'm misjudging Penn State, and that West Virginia game is actually a lot more impressive than I'm giving it credit for. 
Yeah, I mean, West Virginia, who would have thought? Because they've not been having the best few years lately. Um, and, and I don't think, if you look at West Virginia's resume, they're not these world beaters. But, hey, they're winning football games. Mm-hmm. And um, there is something to be said for beating a team that, you know, wins solid football games in the Power Five the way Penn State did. And so I agree that that is a greatly aging win for Penn State. Absolutely. All right, Reed, let's close this one out after our ballots. You got, you know how we got to close it out with our shout outs. Who'd you like to shout out this week? You got anybody in mind? Oh, good question. I got to start thinking of these more beforehand. I'm often thinking <laughs> about my categories for my blank of the week. Um, you know, I, I'm not really, uh, I'm trying to think of some shout outs right now. I'll say shout out to my parents, letting my friends and I stay in my childhood home for fall break this week. They're going to be out of town on their fall break trip. And, uh, you know, we're moving down from Columbus to Nashville for the break. And so shout out to them and their Southern hospitality, excuse me. Uh, I'll give a shout out to uh, a few friends of mine who who stopped by the house this previous weekend to, to watch college football all day with me to, to Emma Watson and to my roommate, Jack, uh, and to my friend Haley. So shout out to them. We set up six screens. It was a great time. Got to watch all the games all day long. Nothing better than that on a Saturday afternoon. All right, Reed, that'll do it for this week's edition of the first and 10. We'll be back later this week to preview all the games that we've got coming up this coming Saturday. I think it's an exciting slate headlined in the big 10, at least among current big 10 members, not including Oregon and Washington by that big 10 West championship game between Iowa and Wisconsin. So we'll have a lot to talk about later this week until then for Reed Murray. My name is Patrick Feltz. Thank you for listening and we will see you next time. Bye.